I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You are very welcome to the Ireland's Birth Stories podcast. My name is Cora Gernon. I created this space for women to share all of the details surrounding their pregnancy, labour, birth and everything in between without feeling shy about the detail. Sit back and enjoy over 100 hours of birth stories told by you, the listeners. Hello, I hope you've all had a wonderful week. Sean, my husband, has just handed in his last piece of work. So he was, he was, um, that's why I've been so quiet the past couple of months. He was doing a master's and working full time. So my focus is on the kids and keeping him going. And now he's done. So I'm so happy for him. He honestly, he hasn't moaned at all. If it was me, I wouldn't have shut up giving out. That's just who I am. But he has done, I'm so happy for him that it's done. It's such a huge personal achievement and he has done an incredible job and you wouldn't even know that he was studying and under so much pressure. So I'm I'm really proud of him, to be honest. Um, so now I can get stuck into some of the other bits and pieces that I really wanted to put my heart and soul into for the podcast, for you, for the listeners, for the community that we have created. So just to touch on the event quickly, I'm going to visit the new venue next week. So hopefully I will have it all confirmed for you then because I know there's groups of you actually waiting for the tickets to um for the tickets to go live so you can uh all come together with show off your new babies and your bumps and just chat. And um, so that is is exactly why I'm creating this event and to hear other birth stories. So bear with me. Now that Sean's finished doing his thing, I'm going to crack on with mine um as soon as we have a little break in between. So I'll crack on with this week's story. I chat to Gina. She talks to me through her four pregnancies and three births, three very different birth experiences. Her first experience with pregnancy, unfortunately, she suffered an early pregnancy loss. So she talks me through that and um, kind of de- the decision to go ahead and have another baby it was just definite. That's what she wanted to do. And it was even more set in stone, I think, after after she suffered loss. Um, she then goes on to talk about her first birth experience which wasn't one that you would hope for and um, 
she had an epidural. She ended up needing assistance with forceps. She had an episiotomy. Uh, it just wasn't something that she envisioned beforehand. Although we did chat about um, the lack of preparation that not everybody, but well, speaking from experience, I did and she did, didn't do as such, I suppose, the two of us. Um, for baby. So after baby comes, you 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 put a little bit of prep into your pregnancy, your labour, and then you're like, oh, what do I do with myself after the baby has arrived? So we actually speak about that together. And then she goes on to speak about her two other experiences. So she, her second experience was... Um, unmedicated. It was a vaginal birth, and they thought that she had third degree tear. Thankfully, she didn't. It was a second, but there's a little d- bit of disappointment in there. And I will let her let Gina tell you why. And then she went on to have her third birth experience, and it was uh, an un- an unmedicated vaginal birth. Really quick, really positive, full of oxytocin, and exactly what she prepared for because she put a lot of time and effort into preparing for her third experience. A really nice episode with three very different experiences. And I think stories like these are really important to hear that, um, similar to other stories that I've shared recently, that you can have, if you have suffered um, an ex- of your first experience that wasn't one that you'd hoped for or envisioned, you can have that positive subsequent birth. So enjoy this week's episode and I will chat to you soon. So Gina, you are very welcome to the Ireland's Birth Stories podcast. Thank you for, I know I've put this conversation off for the past two days, so thank you for your patience. Um, I'm looking forward to getting stuck in. So do you want to just give us a little introduction to you and your family? Yeah, I'm a married mum of three. Um, I had four four pregnancies. One was an early um, miscarriage and three, thankfully three regular births. So three lovely babies, three different experiences. Um. So, do you want me to just go ahead and start talking? Yeah, talk about us through, through your first pregnancy. Yeah, yeah. So the first pregnancy. Um, I'll talk about that one quickly. But yeah, as I say, um, we got married in 2016, and we're lucky enough to get pregnant straight away. Kind of found out early, um, and was a bit shocked. I think that I was pregnant kind of so quickly. Um, I don't know why. For years, we kind of had it in our heads that. We would have had trouble or, you know, mm. you just freak yourself out a bit before you start having kids, I think. We had known a lot of people that had gone down the IVF route or had different difficulties. So I was a bit shocked that we were pregnant. Um, but unfortunately, I had a couple of weeks of that pregnancy. We lost that pregnancy at about nine weeks. Um, but thankfully, my body and system kind of did what it was meant to do. So it wasn't hugely, uh, I didn't have to have a DNC or anything like that. So it wasn't like it was really upsetting and really tough. Mm. And then when that happened, it just made us realize that nothing else mattered, that we just wanted to have a healthy baby. So we kind of went straight, straight to it again and tried to get pregnant as quick as we could. Um, and thankfully, we were pregnant, I think, like the second cycle after that. Okay. Um, and everything went well with that. It's just really, it's really, it's really disheartening and upsetting when you go through something like that, especially when you haven't had kids yet. Yeah. It's like the loss is just so kind of great and you feel like you're never going to have them. So it made me quite nervous at the start of the next pregnancy, but thankfully everything was going well throughout um, and had been going going well. Um, I think once you get to that 20 week mark and you have your 20 week scan, it's a huge relief to kind of hear that mm-hmm. things are as they should be and stuff. So uh, for my that, for that pregnancy, uh, that was 2017. So it would have been towards the end of 2016. Um, due date was the end of July 2017 so everything was fairly normal for that pregnancy um, 
I was trying to kind of keep fit and look after myself as much as I could. And obviously it was a first baby. So um, I had a lot, a lot of time to kind of focus on the pregnancy and just doing all the reading up on, you know, just everything basically pregnancy related. I've been doing and you did, classes. Did you, you, you got you did a lot of a lot of reading and research then, did you? Yeah, I did. I yeah. was reading up like everything and anything like, you know, you're reading daily, like on the size of how what yeah. your baby is now and what's going on all this. And you're like literally just nerding it up and finding as much, as much information as you can. There's just such excitement and you just can't wait mm. to have this baby and meet it. So um, everything went well with that pregnancy. Um, and as I said, I was doing pregnancy Pilates and I was trying to remain open minded Um Obviously, I had no idea as to how this baby was going to come or like, you know, I know that so much of it's out of your hands, but I was trying to kind of, you know, lay down the best foundation where, you know, go in open minded, but, you know, kind of just be aware that a lot of it is kind of out of your hands as well. So um, I was due the end of July and I went about, well, I went, I think it was about four days over. I started getting um like on a Friday, I think I had the show and I started getting kind of mild cramps on the Friday night, which led me into Saturday. And they started getting a bit worse on Saturday, but they weren't really regulating. So you've done all the antenatal tasks and stuff and they t- tell you, you know, to wait until they're X mm. um, amount apart and lasting for whatever time. But mine were quite erratic and they weren't really taking on a proper pattern. So we rang the hospital on the Saturday night and they said, look, just come in. They were like, if you're having pains and stuff, come in. So we came in and they checked me and I wasn't, like I hadn't um, started dilating yet. But they kind of kept me in the hospital that night just to, to see if I progressed. Um, so I was kept in the pre-labor ward and I was up and down the stairs and I was on the ball and I was on the birthing stool and doing all the things to try and bring it on. Um, that was Saturday night through to Sunday morning, but um, it didn't regulate. So they ended up letting me go from hospital. So I went back home again. Still was having pains through the Sunday and Sunday night, but nothing regulating. So we were so focused on these bloody contractions and getting them to a certain time and certain width yeah. or certain length between each other and certain length of time. So I remember calling the hospital again on the Monday morning and saying, you know, this is still the case, but they're not regulating. They were like, you must be absolutely wrecked, but you're better yeah. off just to stay at home. They were just said, stay at home. You know, there's a better chance of, you know, it kind of regulating and you getting properly into labour if you just relax as much as you can at home they're like we know we're exhausted but just stick with it so then eventually I think like by four o'clock on Monday afternoon they started getting quite rapid and just like there was a shift there was a kind of a key change I had been going through pains but this they started getting a bit more like unbearable so I remember my mom actually called my husband because she'd been with me the whole way through it as well and I kept checking in and stuff like that and she basically just called my husband because she kept going go into the hospital I'm like well they, they're not taking me like I can't go in until they take me in and then she basically got my husband on the phone and just like read him the riot act and said, get her to hospital now, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> so about a woman. <laughs> we'd been so, yeah. so we'd been so focused on the contractions. Then we arrived at the hospital and pulled up at the hospital. We'd gone through, I think, like four or five o'clock traffic. Got to the hospital, realised I'd forgotten my birth notes. So my big folder mm-hmm. of notes that I had. And I was so freaked out by the whole thing that I was like I can't go in my husband was like we're going you're going in I'll go back and get the notes or whatever so they get me they they checked me into the hospital um and brought me to the pre-labor ward and checked me and yeah it was at like one centimeter so they were like we can give you pethidine at this point it'll either relax you so you get a proper sleep or else it'll kind of kick things off for you 
So I'd agreed to take that. So they got the pethidine injection and I was brought back to one of the beds then in the pre-labor ward. This was probably about half nine or so on the Monday evening. Um, and they were just explaining that it'll either make you sleepy and drowsy or else it'll kind of kick things off. And as she was saying that, I was like, I feel like this is making me kind of sleepy, drowsy. So the nurse was like, OK, husband, I think you should go home and we'll kind of monitor from here or whatever. So she sent him home and I thought I was kind of bedding down to have a couple of hours sleep, which I slept for about 20 minutes. I think he had just gone home and then I woke up in like severe contractions. So what I would call what I thought was pains and stuff in the days leading up to that, this was like kind of, you know, toe curling contractions. Mm. Um, and I think. So the nurses, I was in the pre-level ward, the nurses going around and I remember, I think it was a nurse, there was just a nurse who had just started on duty and I kind of said to her, look at these pains are really getting serious Can I call my husband and she was just like, oh no, you don't need to, Um, it's still only early labour or whatever. So I was like, all right, okay, grand. And then I was kind of like, this just isn't right. And then the other nurse that had checked me earlier on the evening came along and she must have seen me as she was going by and she was like, I think it's time for you to call your husband now. So called my husband he came back in so this was probably I don't know maybe up to um half 11 12 o'clock by the time he came back in um and then as we were introduced to they were bringing us over to the labor ward at this point so I was introduced to the nurse that was going to be taking care of us um so she was asking how do we birth plan and what was our hopes for what was my hopes for the labour and all the rest? And I said, well, I had a birth plan in mind, but you know, I completely know that it's a lot of it's out of my hands and stuff. And I said, I'd hoped, you know, in a dream world, if I could do it pain free or like, you know, drugs free and pain free and stuff like this, but at the same time, I'm staying open minded. So she kind of advised, she said, look, if you've had pretty much three days of early labour, so mm. you're exhausted. So she was kind of like, it would be my kind of recommendation for you to take the epidural. Um, but it's totally up to yourself. She was like, you're probably exhausted as it is and to go through labour now, you know, you want to enjoy your baby tomorrow and stuff as well. So I was quite open-minded and quite like, you know, I take that on board. I was kind of like, that's grand, you know. So I, I opted to have the epidural early on. But because we had so many days of focusing on contractions and stuff, so I had gone into the labour ward, had been set up for the epidural and then I had gotten the epidural. So this was over a space of time or whatever, got the epidural. Uh, and my nurse was kind of like, uh, not long after that, I remember just being on the bed and I was so focused on the contractions and them getting to a certain length and stuff that I turned around and I remember just being freaked out going, I was like, I can't feel contractions anymore. Yeah. Like, what's happened? What's stopped? And she was like, oh, no, you're still having them. You just have the epidural now, so you can't feel them. I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. This is brilliant. So I was absolutely delighted. Um, and so I was kind of, at that point, I was told it could take like five, six hours for you to get to maybe seven, eight or whatever. So just rest up and get rest if you can. And we'll come back to you uh, or, you know, we'll keep monitoring you and keep an eye on, on keep a check and stuff. So I had the trace on and stuff as well. So that was grand. I think my husband was bedding down, hopeful that he'd get a couple of hours sleep. Um, and we were just chatting away to our midwife. It had become very calm then. It was all just it was a bit of a waiting game and I wasn't going through pain anymore because I had the epidural. Uh, but then not long into it, I think one of the nurses were doing like a swap over or something. Um, and there was a the other nurse came into the room or whatever and she was introducing herself. She seen was like how I was getting on. I said, yeah, delighted that I had the epidural and I wasn't feeling anything and stuff. I said, I just can feel kind of a pressure. And she was like, all right. She was like, you know that you can turn that up if you need to. You can turn up the epidural. I was like, OK. Um, 
And then, so she called the other nurse back that had been with us from the start and she checked me and she was like, all right. She was like, we hadn't expected this to happen so quick, but you're now at 10 centimetres. So I had obviously just dilated really quickly. Um, And how they explained it to me was that I had dilated to 10 centimetres, but the baby's head wasn't down the birth canal enough. So it ended up being a case of being told that I had to kind of start to push and that the baby was kind of a bit further back. They were like, we need to keep checking the baby too to see that its um, oxygen levels are okay and that it's going to be okay. It's going to take a bit more work to get. The, so there was, and there was talk of potentially having to go for a um, cesarean, all these different things. They were trying to monitor the situation, but you could tell that it was getting quite, it quite quickly kind of turned from very calm to all of a sudden kind of we need to get the baby out type thing and we need to see how well it's doing so they started doing the pin prick tests on the baby's head just to see how its oxygen levels were uh, and thankfully they were good so there was quite a bit of pushing um, and yeah it went from us just being in the room with the midwife to then like lots of people being in the room um, I think it was touch and go at one point they were thinking of going up for a section um, and they were just explaining to me we kept having to sign all these forms and stuff as each thing was kind of um you know, like as they were kind of presenting different options, um, we had to sign forms, you know, to kind of agree with it. And then in the end, um, so baby was born, but it, uh, so she had to be born with uh, forceps and suction uh, and an episiotomy. So, but thankfully she arrived and she was safe and well and all was grand, thankfully. Um, but yeah, it just kind of hit this kind of, hairy moment towards mm-hmm. the end where it had gone from being just calm and relaxed to all of a sudden a lot of hands on deck and quite because I had the epidural I couldn't feel pushing you're pushing but you don't really know what you're doing then there's all these extra people in the room and there's talk of sections and all these different things and then they have explained that they need to do an episiotomy and use instrumental instruments to deliver so yeah it was quite um quite shocking I think and but just the absolute um relief when she arrived and everything was okay she was a bit battered and bruised she had like marks on her face from the suction and from the um, forceps and stuff but thankfully she was well uh we were just delighted relief just absolutely over the moon like just that feeling of insane love and just relief and everything I think just hitting you like a like a ton of bricks just so delighted that she was there and that she'd been come safely and everything was fine and how did you feel, I suppose, in the hours after um, after giving birth? I suppose it was so, so shocking. Like you went from it being totally chill. You, you were kind of getting that relief from being in labor for so long. And then you went to get the epidural. You could probably have a, start to talk about baby coming and get excited about being distracted from the contractions. And then you went, it completely changed the other way. So how did you feel after the roller coaster of emotions and the physicality of everything that went on, I suppose the epidural wore off, and then how did you start feeling? Yeah, like, and I mean, of course, it was my first baby, and mm. we had lived in Australia before this, so we had just moved back to Dublin, and my fam, our both of our families were from the west, um, so definitely there was a bit, and like we had been, I know that the hospital was quite busy and stuff like that. They're not really big on visitors, so we hadn't organised for anyone to kind of come or be there or anything like that. But I definitely remember the feeling of just I remember the absolute relief when Eve was born and just she had come and she was well because there was so much stuff being thrown at us that, you know, we may need to take this route. And are you prepared for this? Are you prepared for that? My husband was just signing forms and stuff. And um, it got quite hairy and quite 
sketchy. But there was just a huge relief that she was there. But then the after or like the aftermath of that then was like because I remember even the day and like the day or two after that, like I you're so focused, especially on your first labor, you're so focused on the pregnancy mm-hmm. and the labor and how the labor is going to happen that you never really get your head around the fact that afterwards you're going to be in pain yourself. Yeah. So you're not only dealing with this tiny little baby who's just entered the world, you're in physical pain yourself and you have the shock of the labour and how the baby got there and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it definitely was a bit of a hairy labour, that one. Um, and because it was first time round, it was everything was just so new and you just had no idea, you know, in the end she was like helped into the world with like instruments and stuff like that. So it was quite a, a, a garish experience but at the same time I had nothing to I had nothing to vet it against either so um I remember just being so relieved that she was there but then the next day my mum just appeared at the hospital I hadn't arranged for her to come she just got in the car and came straight there and came in or whatever and I remember just being so delighted to see her and so like just just the just yeah the release and the relief of seeing mum there because I remember just being like kind of shell-shocked shell-shocked is the word you'd use like that you're just completely like delighted that your little baby's there but you just never really put enough thought into the how she was with your first labour you never kind of put as much thought into how the whole process and how it was going to unfold and stuff like that so yeah there definitely was a bit of shock and a bit of um yeah like shell shock and like uh, just disbelief I suppose in a way I was literally going to say disbelief I, I had this conversation with someone not so long ago that on your first your baby's growing and then you get to surgery you're like I'm gonna have a baby I can't even imagine you know you can't even imagine that you're gonna have a baby in your arms because you've never experienced it before and then mm-hmm. it is utter disbelief when you do have your baby like, okay this is what it's like uh, who's gonna step in here <laughs> yeah oh, completely <laughs> you know? yeah yeah and then you have everything else that goes with that so yeah it can be, be tough first yeah that first night in the hospital and just yeah just the disbelief like I remember yeah like a I remember I wanted to do breastfeeding. I was quite um, strong on that, that I wanted to breastfeed. And thankfully, everything had gone well. Like the first feed went well and stuff like that. But just like those early days, like I was in such physical pain myself, like mm. uh, that I just never imagined. You just really don't even understand that you yourself are going to be in pain or recovering or, you know, you're going through this huge thing. But at no point during the pregnancies did I ever kind of... um think about that or think that that was going to be the case it's all just such a weird um bubble of I can't wait to meet my baby and have my baby here and stuff like that but you never yeah like I didn't correlate the two that like you yourself are going to need so much healing time afterwards yeah so um she was all well she was a healthy baby she was over eight pounds um everything was well and happy and they came to me the next day and said that I well it was eligible for early release if I wanted to go home and the midwives could come and I remember just being shocked going no I just had the baby like last night like don't send me home I don't know what I'm doing I think just didn't want to leave and um, so I did the two nights in the hospital and then went out home and yeah there was definitely a bit of a time of just the pain and getting through the pain and just getting through the shock of the actual process and stuff like that reeling a bit from it all and just um yeah like not an easy journey at all but you're just overwhelmed by and consumed by all the hormones and the love that you have for this little baby mm. but it's still a, a rocky path because you're kind of trying to navigate through it to yourself in pain and all over the place with emotions and I remember the night we got home from hospital 
everything had I felt like everything had been going well breastfeeding wise but then the night that I got home from hospital must have been when my milk actually came in and I just became completely engorged and like the baby she wasn't able to feed off me I didn't know what I was doing I spent the night basically going around the bedroom crying going I can't feed her anymore and oh I just just yeah so I spent a lot of time on that pregnancy just constantly reading online just trying to find things like I basically it taught myself how to parent just from like reading so many I was obsessive like I was just yeah. reading whenever the baby was asleep I was reading more stuff I was like yeah so Ke- Kelly was, mom is is that the is a Kelly mom was the way yeah, yeah. It's one of them because yeah. <laughs> I, I had no idea I remember I, I sent my sister a text and I was like so what's the story how, like because my boobs were just swollen I had no idea about milk coming in and then when I rang my mom in tears and she told me what to do mm-hmm. and my sister was like oh, look at this website Kelly mom and I had I before I had Oliver I had no idea about this website and it's just ridiculous yeah. that we do that we do that to ourselves I mean literally my sister-in-law thankfully had her baby about six months before me so she had given me pointers on before but it didn't really mean much to me when she was telling me in pregnancy but then yeah. I was like on to her as she was giving me um but I remember being on to Lelech League and everything like after those first couple of days and just explained to them about being engorged and like in tears and she was like you know you can give it like just even give like a milli uh, milliliter syringe of milk mm-hmm. if you can collect milk even in a cup and all this and just yeah the, like the shock and the yeah the overwhelming experience of yeah just milk and feeding and all the rest like baby was good thankfully she was actually a yeah. really really good baby um and I would say the first six to eight weeks were kind of bar all of that like the milk coming in and um breastfeeding did still I would consider it that it went well for me and like I didn't I was obsessive about um using the like lanolin creams my sister had gone through a really severe case of she just had pain and like sore boobs and like cracks and all that. It didn't really work out for her, but then I had another sister that did. So I was just obsessive about using those, what do you call it? You know, the little things you keep in the fridge, the little... Um, the silver cups, is it? No, you know, they're just, they're like little things you stick on uh, to your boobs. I can't remember what they're called. Like, uh, oh, the they're just basically... Like a compress thing, yeah. So they were just, I remember just keeping them in the fridge. But I was obsessive about putting on the lanolin cream and putting the compress on just to kind of soothe them as much as I could and look after them because I was really determined that I wanted to keep breastfeeding and that I wanted it to work. Um, and I did. We breastfed for six months. Um, but she was a really quiet baby at the start um, and calm. Um, and breastfeeding was going well. I was, thankfully, wasn't dealing with pain or anything like that. Um, but then when she got to eight weeks, she just became, it was after she had her jabs. I don't know if it was down to the jabs or what, but uh, the jabs was the first time I'd ever seen her like scream her head off, like red face. And then later that week, then she just started having these screaming fits. And it just was on, I don't know if it was colic or what, but she did get a bit unsettled from about eight weeks to maybe five or six months or so. Um, but overall, she was good. But yeah, you're a first time parent as well. So you don't really, you're just clutching at straws for everything um yeah it was a it was a mad experience but um but you did it again <laughs> I did it again <laughs> exactly <laughs> so on to number two thankfully all went well you still have it in the back of your head as well just because you've had issues you're kind of like you know mm. um will everything be okay with the, if we try and go again or whatever but thankfully we got pregnant straight away um so there's two years and four months between our older two 
Um, and we were actually just moving into, we were living in rental accommodation with our first baby. I think when we had the first, the miscarriage before we had our baby, we had been, we were looking at buying houses and doing all these different things. We just moved back to Ireland. But when we had the miscarriage, I basically just put my foot down on everything and said, right, everything else is to stop. I just want to have a healthy baby. So I stopped looking at houses, stopped doing all these things. I was like, the focus is to just concentrate on a healthy pregnancy and having a healthy baby or whatever. So we had had the baby and then second time round we went kind of um sorry we went look we were buying a house or whatever so that was kind of happening in correlation with the second pregnancy <clears throat> so there was a lot of the stress of buying second or buying a house uh while I was pregnant with the second baby but it kind of worked out we were due to move in in August and we didn't end up getting moved in until October and the baby was due the end of November. So I was having like there was delays with the house and I was having like um, visions of like basically walking over the doorstep the first day into the house and going into labour. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was yeah. myself out about it. Um, but thankfully we got in the end of October. He was due the end of this. Uh, sorry, he was due the end of November. But because I had gone, I was six days over on my first, although I had like four days of early labour. Um, I was six days overdue so because I had been six days on the first I, I was telling myself oh you'll go on time if not early so we got in in October the end of October he was due the end of November and he ended up basically being the 14 days overdue so okay. in Hollis Street they allow you to go to 14 days overdue so my mum came up on the due date and she was basically just um, staying with us until the baby was born so she was going to be there with uh, my first baby so that we could just head off to the hospital so every night we're going to bed and she's like it's going to happen tonight it's going to happen tonight I know it'll happen tonight and then there I was going off to bed every night and waking up the next morning going yeah no I'm still here go fine and so in Hollow Street they call you in for a 12 days overdue scan so I was having that on the Saturday morning and I remember just going to bed the night before and I was really eager to go into labour and for the labour to start and stuff but at the same time I um I was always quite reluctant to be induced just because um, my two older sisters had been induced on their first labours and even my mum had kind of said the same. She had, she had five children and I think the fifth was induced, but she was saying it can be quite tough going when you're induced or, you know, if you if you have the, um, you know, if you get away with it happening itself, it's kind of a more natural process or, you know, it's kind of not so severe on the body. So, I remember just going to bed the night before the scan and just in my head thinking, I said it to my husband, I was like, if I go in tomorrow and they allow me to come back home without being induced, you know, if they offer me, you can be, we can induce you now, even though I wanted the baby to come as quick as possible or as soon as possible. I also had kind of made it up in my mind that I'd prefer to just come home if there's a chance that I, I can get those two extra days to see if it'll happen itself. That's what mm. I'll take, I think. So I remember just going to bed and saying that to him just before we were getting into bed. I remember being like, if I go in tomorrow and they allow me to go back home without being induced, I'll I'll opt for that over if they offer me drugs to induce me tomorrow. I kind of won't take it. I'd prefer to just come back home and see if it'll happen over the next two days. So that was the night before. And the, um, the scan was at half nine the following morning. But I woke up at four with like pains. It just felt like pains. I needed to just go to the loop. So I went to the loo and I came back and I was like, yeah, that feels a bit weird. Like, um, I just feel a bit different. I felt like kind of more pain, pain, but went back to bed and slept for another hour. Uh, so it's about 5 a.m. Then I woke up um, and just had that kind of really severe feeling of needing to go to the loo again. So 
point. But I was like, yeah, something's happening here now. This is this is different. This is kind of this is slightly different than like just needing to go to the loo. So my mom was there, so I ended up, and all I was so concerned about that time around was keeping everything kind of on an even keel for my little one. So she was, yeah. what was she at that stage? She was just gone over two. It was two since August. Um, but I remember waking up, so I was up at six. She woke at six then. I remember going into her room, and then my mom came down, and she was chatting to my little daughter. And I still hadn't said anything. I was just chatting to my little one with mom just trying to keep, you know, as calm as possible and all the rest. And then I just had said it to mum, I said, oh, I'm having some sort of pains or whatever. And she was like, oh, right, okay. And I was like, yeah. So she's just like, get to the hospital. And I'm like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Like, I'm I'm, I'm coping. I'm fine. I just, you know, want to get up and get breakfast, you know, keep everything as calm as possible for my little one. So I got up and I think, I, I think in a way, I feel like because I knew I was going into the hospital, I was going in for that scan anyways, that was making me just calm and relaxed because I knew that I had an appointment to go to the hospital. Like there's always such extra um, stress, I think, added to your labour as to like when it's going to start, when do you yeah. need to go, what have you got lined up, how are you going to get there, who's going to drive you, how long is it going to last? There's all these additional things that you just can't control. So yeah, lack I think, of control, 100%. Yeah, yeah, lack of control. So that that's always hanging over you and you never know when it's going to start or how it's going to end up or all these different things. So I think what was keeping me calm that morning was, was that I knew I was going to Hollis Street anyways. I had to mm. be in there for like 10 a.m. appointment. So this was like 6 a.m., 7 a.m. And I was just downstairs then having breakfast and stuff and just having my tea. And then I got the ball. I was on the ball every night anyways, trying to bring on the labour. So I was just, I remember just my mum just kept looking at me at the side of her eye going like, is she okay? Like, or is she, is she, like it was all very calm and really quite quiet and stuff like that. And I was trying to keep it as calm as possible for my daughter. I didn't understand that I was as far on as I was. I think my mum was kind of like, okay, are you going to go now? And I'm like, yeah, she's the appointment isn't until whatever time. And she's like, just go on in, like give yourselves plenty of time and all the rest. So we were going in and I think I just started using the app, you know, to kind of time the contractions as we were going in in the car. So we were probably heading in at about eight. Like we live out in Kildare, so we had to give ourselves enough time to get in. Um it was a Saturday morning as well, so we weren't dealing with like work traffic or anything like that. But I remember using the timer on the way in uh, and I was about six minutes apart, according to it. Um, so, but at the same time, I was feeling very calm and my husband left, left me off at the door and he was going off to park the car. Um, and when I got to the door, the front door was closed. So I was like, OK, I had to walk around to the back. And I remember just being like stopping, having contractions as I was going but I still didn't realize myself how far on I was I knew I was having pains I was happy that I was having pains and I was mm. kind of tolerating them but I don't think I knew myself so then I was waiting in the waiting room to be called for the it was just like a an overdue uh, a scan that they do basically just to kind of check um I think it's mostly just to check for your amniotic fluid and stuff like that just to see how it's doing but I was waiting in the waiting room and the woman came out and she must have called somebody before me and she's like you're next then or whatever and I was like grand and I was sitting there having pains and stuff. And then, so my husband was with me. He made it up from the car park. And then so she called me in. I think when I got there as well, they gave me like a a sample bottle to collect some urine. But I was kind of sitting there and because I was going through the pains, I hadn't been able to collect the sample. And then I went in, they called me for the scan and I went down and I just had told the lady that was doing the scan that I'd started having pains. And she was like, all right, okay. And then she was like, well, I'm only doing the scan. So like, I can't, if you're in labour, I can't really tell how far on you are or anything like that. But, you know, she was like, they may take you down to the labour ward if um, 
but she was kind of like, all right, what they might do is send you away if they feel like you're you're in early labour. They might send you away, um, to somewhere close by because you live in Kildare. They might send you just to somewhere close by and then let it progress further. I was like, oh, grand, okay. And I think that was again comfort in knowing that it wasn't going to be sent back home to Kildare. Yeah. Um, she was saying we had somebody in here last week and they were sent away and they just went over to Ballsbridge for like an hour, or they just ordered lunch or something at Ballsbridge and within the hour they were back in proper labour or whatever so I think there was a bit of a comfort in that too as in like I'm here now I'm at the hospital um, I'm here I'm at the hospital the people around me know what they're doing and stuff like that you know so um, just the total comfort in that so uh, as she was scanning me I think I must have had a contraction and she was helping me through it she was just you know reminded me to relax my shoulders and breathe and stuff like that she's like okay she's like yeah I think we need to get you seen by the labour ward or whatever and I was like okay and then she was like have you been able to get the sample and I said no so she's like maybe just go and see if you can get that for me in the loop um and I'll call the labour ward uh and somebody from there will come and get you so I was like grand okay so I went off to the toilet as I was walking in the corridor I had another contraction so she's just like okay and then I went into give the sample but I couldn't I think I had another contraction when I was in the toilet and then I came out and I met the lady that had scanned me again she's like okay I'm just going to bring you to the labour ward now so she basically brought me down to the labour ward with my husband um and they were like we'll just bring you in my phone keeps slipping down um she was like we'll bring you in and do um sorry We'll bring you in um, and just check where you're at and stuff. So they brought me into the labour ward, uh, introduced me to the nurse and the nurse did like the physical examination. She's like, yeah, you're definitely in labour, like you're kind of far on or, you know, you're well on or whatever. And I was like, OK, OK. And then I think it all just hit me at once. To just I think I started to vomit and like, you know, I think just the realisation that I was as far on as I was type thing. Um, but it just it just went so quickly from there. So my husband was a great support and he was coaching me through the whole way um but I remember just getting there and when she told me you're in labor I started like it kind of came on furiously I started to get sick and then they were like we'll just get you cleaned up and we'll bring you to another room but all I wanted at that point as well was a bit of a guidance I think because of the experience I'd gone through in my first labor where I wasn't regulating and I was having these pains but they weren't ever getting to the like proper six or five minutes apart Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com lasting for whatever length so I kind of just needed some sort of a guideline or somebody to tell me that like you know you're going to go through this for another hour then it's going to be pushing and then you have a baby or else say you're going to go through these pains for another five hours I kind of needed that um some sort of guidance so although I was going through the pains and I was kind of tolerating them I she had said you know if you want an epidural you need to go for it now and I said well I'm tolerating this so if I, can I see how I go for another you know let's maybe see how I get through the next half hour or so um and then I can make a decision on that so I was getting through but like they were fast and furious and um I remember the midwife came back she kept kind of leaving the room and going to like say the progress to somebody outside and then she'd come back and kind of repeat or you know she'd kind of talk through the process with me um so I felt a bit kind of like I just didn't know how long this was going to go on for. I remember just being like my husband had been coaching me so well, but I remember just being like, oh, God, I don't know. Like if this is going to go on, I was like, just tell me how long more this is going to last for type thing. Yeah. She just said, look, I've done an, an examination on you. I was going to wait until 10 past to do another one. So that will be an hour past at that stage. So I'll know kind of how far on you are. So I remember just looking at the clock and just because I had a time frame, I was like, right, I can cope with that. Like I can get through this. Um, and we were just looking at the clock and being right, going like, right, that's 20 minutes. She's going to do a physical exam in 20, examination in 20 minutes. So I was like, right, I can, I can get through that. So I was in and out. I was going to the toilet. I was using the birthing um, bowl. I was using the birthing stool and all these different things. I just kept having to keep on the move. Um, but my waters hadn't broke either. Um, sorry. So my first labour, I had to have my waters broken as well. Okay. Um, the same situation this time around. My waters didn't go. I was having contractions and stuff, but my waters never broke. Um, so I think I had that kind of 20 minute mark in my mind uh, and the contractions were coming kind of fast and furious at this point. Um, and I think, I'm just trying to remember, I think I got to that 10 past mark and I think she did another physical examination and she had said, you, I would see it as eight. Then she went off to speak to somebody outside and came back and there was a mention of six. But I remember just feeling like I just had this urge to push. I was like, I feel like I need to push. And she's like, if you need to push, push. So I basically just remember just pushing for a little bit of time and then my baby was born. So I was, again, a bit shell-shocked because it was such a a fast experience. And like just, I you suppose because felt I was... Before. Yeah, exactly. And I hadn't because I had an epidural the first time around. Um, and this time around, I was feeling the contractions. But I suppose in the lead up to going into the hospital, I was in the middle of labour, but I didn't realise I was as far on as I was. So yeah. that stood to me, I suppose, in a way, because I was kind of just going through it. 
But um, my husband had been a great coach. I have to say he was marvellous through it. He was just like, and my midwife, they were just like, you're doing it. Because I was just kind of like, what's going on? Like, when is this going to happen? And they were like, you're doing it. You're doing it. Like, you're doing I'm like, what are we meant to be doing? And they're like, you're doing what you're meant to be doing. So um, that was a bit of a mad experience, yeah. Because, um, so gas and air, yeah. I had just gas on air on, on that labour. Um, I would sorry I would have got the gas in air as soon as I was she did a physical examination and she asked me if I wanted to an epidural and I declined but I was given the gas in air then at that point so I remember just sucking away on the gas in air and actually feeling kind of sick and just woozy and that you'd suck so much of it that you'd end up just being like a bit like woozy and um, a weird feeling is it almost make you feel limp like and then you kind of get a bit of energy back again it's kind of hard to explain but um, what position so he, uh, did you give birth in? Oh, yeah. So I was doing so much moving around while I was in labour. Um, and then I remember just being up on the bed and I just got I remember just hitting a point of exhaustion. I was like, I'm actually wrecked now. I'm just exhausted. But I think maybe that might have been the transition period. I just had this feeling yeah. of, OK, stop now. I just I don't I can't I don't like I just needed to stop. So I was up on the bed. I remember just having this feeling of like, yeah, this is just this is just too much now. Um, and but I was on my side then just with like one leg in the air. That's how he was birthed. So on the I love leg. I love listening to people talk about transition because it's just so familiar. It's like okay, no, I'm actually all right, thanks. <laughs> well, no, I knew nothing about it in that second labor. So, like again, my body did it itself, really. But like I was a bit like a rabbit in the headlights because I didn't yeah. know that I was as far on as I was, and it all just was a bit mental and crazy. And it happened, and you know. My husband was coaching me through it and he was like, you're doing it, you're doing it. And I was doing it, but I didn't know in my mind, I, I don't know if I didn't pay enough attention in in um, prenatal classes or what, but I didn't know how far along I was. And I knew nothing mm. about transition or I knew nothing about the basically just, the baby just arrived. And yeah, I didn't have a notion as to like kind of what was happening along the way. I think I was in pain and it was tough going, but yeah, I don't know. I didn't. Yeah, I was a bit shocked by it all, I think, and just it literally did just take take its own form and I was kind of just brought along for the ride and wasn't fully aware of kind of where how far on it was. So he came into the world as well, happy and healthy, thankfully. Um uh, my waters weren't broke, but just as I said, that point that I needed to push, my midwife explained afterwards that my membranes were kind of starting to bulge, so she had to break the waters at that point. Okay, and that's how he arrived, and so he tore, and um, so there was quite a bad tear. Uh, and then when they were examining me, they thought that it was a third degree tear. So okay. unfortunately, I had to go to surgery. And plus, because I had only gas and air, I was just finding it really hard to tolerate even the examinations. Mm. They were trying to examine me to see how bad it was, and oh, I had just birthed him, and I was just in bits, like, and um, I wasn't really tolerating it very well the examination and stuff so they made the decision that I had to go to theatre which was really disappointing so Mm. um it's just really disappointing because you're kind of separate like I'd gone through a vaginal birth and I'd gone through it with just gas and air and stuff but then you're taken away from your baby and you're brought off to theatre so that was really upsetting and disappointing and just remember being just so shocked by it and so sad that I was being taken away and then I thought there was something wrong with him and it was just that feeling of just being separated from each other and being separated from your husband and stuff and it was just such a weird feeling because you had the elation of birthing a baby and your baby being there and everything being well and them being well and healthy and then 
you just had this anticlimax then that you have to go off to theatre kind of on your own or, you know, not with your baby, not with your husband. Um, so that was a very weird feeling. Um, and I remember being up in theatre as well and you're with it and you still have all the adrenaline pumping and all the hormones pumping, but then you're just on this trolley waiting to be mm. kind of examined and, um, uh, what's the word, repaired. Um so that was a weird feeling. Yeah, that was a very, and I hadn't really kind of accounted for that or expected kind of that. So, but thankfully. Did they give you, sorry, Gina, did they give you an epidural for that? For yeah, so when I went up to, yeah, when I went up to theatre, that was the other disappointing thing. Like I had a catheter and all that the first time around when I had the epidural and when I had my first baby. And that was a bit, you know, I'd never had gone through anything like that before. So in the days after, you know, when you have the catheter still attached and, you know, just the logistics of that is a funny thing to get your head around. So, yeah, second time around when he was birthed vaginally without an epidural. But then they told me that I have to go up to theatre and get a spinal blocker anyways and a catheter and all the rest. That was all quite disappointing. I remember just feeling like so saddened by that. I was kind of like, what? I've just gone through all that. Mm. And now you're telling me that I have to have an epidural or I have to have a catheter and all that as well. So that was quite disappointing. But anyways, in good news, I went to theatre and when they examined it, it was, wasn't a third degree tear. It was only a second degree tear. tear. So I had the repair there in theatre um, and all was fine. I got back then. I remember just coming out of it and being like, where is my baby? Like, and is he OK? And is everything OK? And all that So just it just was a weird feeling just being separated and taken away but thankfully he was fine and well and um we were back recovering on the um postnatal ward um and he was all good so he was born in December 2019 uh happy and healthy as well thankfully and uh well initially when we started our family planning two was kind of our number we felt like if we have two we'd be delighted with that and you know it, that would be great but we all know that what happened in 2020 changed the world <laughs> so he was born November 2019 and then I was on maternity leave with him um, and potty training my little girl in early uh, March 2020 when the lockdown happened so that was yeah a very different experience for everybody in the whole world and we were kind of in the newborn bubble from November 2019 to March 2020 we were just starting to come out of the newborn bubble you know where you really don't go and do much in the early stages of when you're at home with your baby so um, March 2020 was just a bit of a shock to the system for everyone but yeah it changed things massively for us like my husband works from home has been working at home since March 2020 I was on maternity leave I went back to work in September 2020 and again was working from home full time so um, life just changed massively for us. And I don't know, it's a very, um, it's an unusual thing to say, but there is something addictive about having babies. So we talk about pregnancies and we talk about births and we talk about what crazy experiences they are and the pain that you go through and, you know, the absolute um, chaotic nature of it. But it's, it is slightly addictive. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. a vanity thing or what, but I remember just coming home from hospital and we were coming home with our second baby and just coming home from hospital. So I blame my husband that he set the seat. But I remember just sitting in the back with the baby driving home from Hollis Street and I had gone for the repair and all that. So, you know, you're not in the best shape. Mm. I remember my husband just saying that. He was like, oh, my God, this is so addictive, isn't it? You can see why people just keep doing it. I remember being like, what? No, I think that's it now. 
<laughs> so that was the very early stages. But then as the months went on and everything changed with us working from home and stuff and life just became so much more quieter. Mm. Um, and we knew that we weren't going to be going back to the office. So we were kind of like, we kind of made the decision, look, if we're lucky enough to have a third, will, will we see, you know, how we go or whatever. So we got pregnant straight away. And um, thankfully, and we kind of said ourselves, I was going to be turning 40 this year. So we kind of had set ourselves a bit of a goal that like if we started trying and it wasn't working, you know, there's only so far we're going to keep going. And then we'll have to kind of um, call all to it or whatever. But thankfully, we got pregnant straight away um, and pregnant with our third baby. Um, but because of the experience with the birth of our second baby, and as I explained, like uh, me being in shock <laughs> through it, um, just through the labour and stuff, I was like, I really want to like, um, I really want to understand what's happening in labour this time around. So like my body did do it for me the last time. So first time around I had an epidural, I couldn't really feel what was happening. Second time around, I felt everything. My body kind of did it without me knowing where I was at type thing. So this time around, I was kind of like, I want to kind of empower myself with that information and know where it's at, how long it's going to last, how kind of, um, you know, just so that you're just a bit more tuned in and a bit more aware of what's happening. And, you know, you can enjoy it a bit more without being so rabbit in the headlights kind of shocked by it all so um I had linked in with a women's health physio early on and I had been recommended Pam um yeah I don't know if I can say can I say the details yeah yeah of course yeah um so Pam Davis so uh I had been given her details as a Pilates instructor early on in the pregnancy so that was kind of life-changing in terms of pregnancy and yeah empowerment and all these different things for pregnant women she's an absolute powerhouse and uh, so I did a weekly Pilates course with Pam and then I also did the um, optimal positions course like kind of later on in pregnancy so she was just a wealth of knowledge and just tips and just even in kind of um, recommendations and stuff like that I really nerded it up on this pregnancy and kind of found out as much as I could um, just about uh, positions and um, timing and all these different things. So um, I also did hypnobirthing this time around in this pregnancy. So I was kind of trying to equip myself with all the tools that I could use to help out. Um, but unfortunately, things took a bit of a turn for the worst. When I was 34 weeks, I was doing a night away with my friends. And um, just to kind of a, I was actually staying with my sister-in-law who's pregnant too. We were staying in a hotel. There was a gang of us, but we were sharing a room. And I woke up the next morning and um, we just had had dinner and a few of the guards that were having drinks had drinks. But I woke up the next morning in what I felt was like wet, like moisture. So I was thinking, oh Christ, that's my labor or my waters are broken. So I remember just looking at the calendar to try and figure out how many weeks I was. I knew I was early. So I figured out that I was 34 weeks. And I was like, okay, this is early for this to be happening. But, you know, okay, just stay calm. And then as I woke up, or as I sat up, then I could see that it was actually blood. So that was hugely shocking um, a find or whatever. So I wasn't really sure what was going on. So I had to call Hollis Street straight away. And they just said, yeah, just go come in straight away. And then I was like, I mean, at lunch, so they were like, oh, you'd have to go to your nearest hospital. So that was grand. So my sister-in-law drove me to... Uh, Ballangar Hospital um, and I was checked there um, they did all the checks initially on the baby and everything was fine 
uh, they did different checks on me. They gave me the steroids just in case the baby had to be delivered early or anything. Um, but uh, all the checks were coming back good. So I had to just kind of um, be as positive as possible and just, you know, in hearing that everything was good. The baby seemed fine. They'd done the scan. You know, everything looked fine. All the fluid around it looked fine and everything. But they couldn't explain what, what was causing the bleeding. And they also explained that that can be quite common. It can happen in a lot of pregnancies and it just goes unexplained. So I ended up being kept in Mullingar that night um, and then they released me the following day um, and they just said, look, if any, if any fresh bleeding happens, you'll have to go straight to the hospital again. So I remember just going home, having that night at home and then I woke up the next morning to new fresh bleed. So I had to go into Hollis Street. So I was back in Hollis Street. This was like 34 weeks. I was in Hollis Street. They kept me in all day um, just to monitor and check and all the rest. And I was quite keen to get home myself because of the two babies at home and my husband's at home on his own with them. So I was keen to get home and I had been in there all day and they'd been doing the checks and this, that and the other. Um, and they couldn't pinpoint what was causing it. And, and it did had stopped. So um, I kind of forced it with the nurses to get home. But one of the nurses had noted on it that if there was no fresh beads, I could go home. So the night nurses ended up letting me go home. And then just as soon as I got home, we were saying cheerio to babysitter and I could feel that there was fresh bleeding happened again but then this was quite strong which was quite scary and um, so I ended up having I ended up just being quite nervous and just nervous for my husband too I was kind of like if he's driving me back into Holland Street and I felt like I was bleeding quite a lot and um, I just was nervous about how much blood loss I was having so he called it's an ambulance terrifying it was yeah it was really scary that night so he called an ambulance and the ambulance came. I ended up going in by ambulance and just remember being so scared because I didn't understand why I was bleeding mm. and there was no kind of, I wasn't getting any answers either. But when I went into Hollow Street, then they were explaining that you can bleed so much more too in pregnancy. So pregnancy can cause your body to, you know, if you're bleeding, it can bleed out a lot um, because your body, body has so much extra blood as well in pregnancy. So this was 34 weeks um, and this was like three days into being in and out. And then eventually they, they still couldn't pinpoint. All the scans were fine. The baby seemed fine, um, but they still couldn't pinpoint what, what was causing the bleed. So they were like, you're not going to leave until the baby's born, basically. So they were like, we need to check, keep checking you, keep monitoring you, uh, keep monitoring the baby um, and all these different things. So this was the pregnancy that I was trying to kind of, you know, be uh, on top of um, and it was all kind of taken out of my hands as in um, thankfully everything was well though they were doing all the checks I had great care I cannot in any way complain about the care great care in Hollow Street the whole way through um, but they kept doing the checks so I was on like a prenatal ward um, <clears throat> and they kept doing all the checks uh, so I was kept in and they were also trying to balance out what would be the best decision between baby coming a bit earlier as in, you know, would it be better to be induced a little bit earlier? Um, the other thing with this was my due date was Christmas Day. So this is all going on in late November. Um, and we were trying to figure out what they were trying to figure out, kind of, you know, make plans for going forward. Like, would I be better to be induced a little bit earlier so that the baby comes? A bit? But they just wanted me to get to 37 weeks as well to begin yeah. with because they weren't, they weren't sure whether it was going to whether I'd go into spontaneous labour or whatever first of all um, and I kept having days where it kind of would subside a bit and so then I'd have a couple of days where the bleeding would stop so I was in Hollow Street it's just, and it was weird too because you're in and you're not in any physical pain or mm. anything like that but you're a patient in there and um, 
So I could get a couple of days then where the bleeding would kind of stop and everything and then oh, I might get home and stuff and then eventually another one would happen again. So every time it happened, it was really worrying and concerning. But every check they were doing was coming back with really positive kind of um, outcomes. So I just had to kind of stay positive the whole way through and know that I was in the best place and stuff. So uh, week on week, it was just trying to get further, a week further into the pregnancy. And then in the run up to 37 weeks, we had discussions and it was down to kind of me as well. I was eager to kind of, like for the baby to arrive. It was part of me that was kind of like, I don't know if I could do the full 40 weeks. You know, week on week, we were trying to get a week further on. Um, but then I was picturing myself going through the whole 40 weeks going, like, I don't know if I can go through another three weeks of waiting and all this and the unknown and stuff. So a decision was kind of made or they had suggested to me that if I was happy that they would that potentially I could do like a artificial uh, rupture of the membrane at 37 weeks so in the lead up to it it was kind of decide what's the best option so I had agreed to that then I said yeah look if I'm on course and everything's okay and I can have that then I'm happy to go ahead with that so in the run-up to it um, I was doing all my optimal positions and all the different things that Pam had been teaching me and all the hypnobirthing and just to even get through the stress of being in the hospital I was yeah of course on. yeah I, yeah I was constantly with my headphones in listening to gentle birth and like you know just trying to stay as calm as possible and just get through week on week and stuff um so they did find like a little uh, it was just like a, a kind of a dark area on one of the scans that they felt it could have been it was almost expended as to be like a bruise or something that they were saying that could have bled out that potentially that might have been one of the reasons for the bleeds and um, like it was nothing they had checked they were always having concerns about um something sinister happening with the with the placenta but mm. in all the checks that they kept doing that wasn't the case so that was really reassuring and delighted to hear that so at 37 weeks, and again, in the run up to it, I wanted to kind of know as much information that like if I had to go through like um, if I had to go through artificial membrane, uh, rupture of the membrane, would I then be allowed to birth myself as in, you know, how was it going to work for me if that was the case, if, if I was induced as such? Um, I wanted to do it the most natural way I could as well. Like I know there's gel stuff you could, you could do first to kind of uh, make the cervix favourable. Um, or there's the option of just the artificial membrane rupture. Um, so yeah, I was trying to kind of figure out what way it would take form or what form it would take if I was to be induced. So they were doing the checks like on the last, so like into 37 weeks, I think it was 37 and two. Um, and they'd explained to me that like if they did a, a cervical check and that I was favorable, that I could just do um, artificial membrane rupture so that was what happened um I was glad of that as well that was kind of the best outcome for me because I was trying to ask you know I thought I'd have to go through uh continual monitoring and stuff like that as well mm -hmm. if I was technically induced and stuff and it would be very different to the birth that I had kind of hoped for or planned for where I was kind of just going to be left to my own devices um so they had had good discussions with me and I think they knew the whole way through where I was at and kind of how much like work and how much looking into this labour I had done and kind of wanted to be as natural as possible and just to be left kind of my own devices as much as possible which is unusual too when you're in a prenatal ward um, you know with a lot of um, obstetricians and 
midwives and everything on hand. So thankfully they did the check, I think, a couple of days before it. And I was favourable for just an artificial rupture of the membranes. So that happened on the 6th of December. It was funny, actually. It was lining up with my, he's now two, he was two at the time. But it was basically the day before his birthday. Okay. So I was gone from like 34 weeks. So I had a two year old at home and um, I was all these things going through my head where I was going to miss his birthday. I was mm. still in hospital. I'd gone off to have this baby. I, I didn't even have one to one time with him that I wanted to have before I was due to have the baby and stuff. So it was all working. I was feeling quite guilty for my little two year old at home. And then as it turned out, the day that I was having my induction was like the day before his birthday. So I was thinking if this happens now, for it goes on for a day, he's going to land on his birthday and never, my poor baby. Never can, be forgiven. Never, no. never <laughs> forgive me. He'll never forgive me. So um, on that morning of it, so I just had the um, membrane rupture area at about 10 a.m. or whatever. And they had explained as well that they would monitor me. So once you have that done, they have to check the waters and make sure that they're clear and stuff like that. But if there's a chance there's anything with them um, that I may have to be induced or, you know, they'd have to kind of speed it up and all this. So I, I kept having these conversations and I met, kept kind of making it quite clear that I wanted to be left to my own device as much as I could. Mm. So thankfully, when they uh, ruptured the waters, everything was fine. It was running clear and stuff. So they kind of said, we can leave you for up to 12 hours. If everything is fine, you can be left for up to 12 hours without any other kind of interventions being needed or being done um, as long as you kind of pass all those checks so that happened at 10am my husband got in at about 12 I was just sitting around in the hospital just uh, well I had my waters just broken so that was a bit uncomfortable and a bit uh, I was in and out to the toilet and all the rest but I didn't really have any pains as such until like I think my husband went off for lunch or something at about 2 o'clock to 3 and then he came back. I remember sitting at about four o'clock. There was still kind of nothing happening apart from me um, losing my waters and stuff. Um, I wasn't as such going through pain. And then um, I think at around five o'clock, they came around with the tea and I was sitting there having my dinner in Hollow Street as I've been doing for weeks because I've been in there for so long at this point. Um, but still nothing. My midwife that I, I had that day, Emma, kept coming up and down and checking on me but she knew that I wanted to be kind of left as well to my own devices and she was great and she really um she really kind of how do I say she really like um supported me in that you know she she was doing kind of as much as possible she was leaving me kind of be and not continually down checking on me and stuff and, and like pushing things on me so I think at about after five, it must have been about 20 to six or so. I remember just walking the corridor and meeting her. And I said, I feel like something's happening. Like I'm getting a bit uncomfortable, but it's nothing severe yet or whatever. And she's like, okay, that's good. That's progress. That definitely seems like a bit of progress. So I was like, sure, I'll go back up to my cubicle or whatever and just wait it out for another while. And then after six, I remember feeling like I had the surgery. So I was here like looking up all my optimal position handouts and notes. I had prepped myself well from all the amazing knowledge that Pam had equipped me with um, and I just had my headphones in I was just on gentle birth all the time like listening to my podcast my husband was there but like he, he wasn't really getting to say much with too much to me so I had my headphones in all the time um, but definitely after six I started feeling kind of surges like kind of quite strong surges um, I remember messaging my mom at about 20 past six six going yeah I'm definitely feeling something now so there's some sort of action happening um, and I think Can I, I then put questions? on 
Sorry. Mm -hmm. Did you feel excitement when you knew then that baby was on the way and you could kind of um, hopefully experience the birth that you had prepped for? Yeah, huge excitement. Like when oh, cool. I yeah. had, like in the lead up to it, I was very disappointed that I was in hospital and, mm. you know, I never imagined this kind of, no, I can't give out my, the care that I got in that in those lead up weeks was amazing. Like, and it was brilliant. So I'm in no way um, saddened by that, but definitely um, it hadn't really worked out the way I had pictured where I was in hospital in the run up to it. Mm. But at the same time, from all the questions I was asking and from all the conversations I was having, and I was trying to do it as kind of, um, input free as possible I was getting all like you know when they checked my waters and stuff and they were running clear and they were kind of explaining that yeah you can be left to yourself so I kept kind of making that point of just I want to be kind of left to myself and left to my own devices and with as little intervention as possible um so yeah it was huge excitement I was hugely excited to have my waters broken that morning um then to kind of just go through the day and not I was just kind of feeling nervous though that I'd get through maybe 12 hours and then they would yeah. allow you to go to 24 hours. But if it wasn't happening, then you'd have to be fully induced. So I think there was part of me that was kind of like, oh, no, like, is am I not? Is it not going to happen type thing? But once I got to six o'clock, then I knew like that was definitely having the surges. And I was had my headphones in listening to my gentle birth app. I put the TENS machine then on. I think it must have been at about 20 past six or so. And I was just walking around the room, uh, the cubicle with my TENS machine on and it's a funny story actually with the tens machine because the first time round when I had all that early labour that I talked about, um, when I went in on the Saturday night, I think I had my tens machine on. I remember when the midwife saying to me, "Maybe hold off the tens machine until things get really hard because you know it kind of won't work that well for you then." So I was like, "All right, okay." So I didn't use the tens machine, and then I told you the story about where I went and had an epidural and the whole lot. And then the second time round, I had the tens machine with me, and I never got a chance to even put it on. So this time around, I had lent it to my sister jokingly and I was telling her the story about how I've never got to use it. Uh, she never got to use it either. She had her third baby uh, about a year before me. So she was sending it back there. That was the one thing I was just mostly concerned about when I was in the hospital was I need to get my TENS machine. So my husband went and met my brother-in-law. They lived in Belfast, went and met halfway and they, he got the TENS machine. So I must have got that on at like, and I was joking, like, because I'd gone through two labours and never used it. And I was like, I'll never get to use this bloody tens machine. Um, but I had that on. I must put that on at about 20 past six, I think, when I had messaging mum. And I was in the cubicle. I remember going out to the toilet and just feeling like at this point, because they had explained to me too, they were like, you know, your labour will probably start then when you're in the prenatal ward, but we'll move you. Once things start to progress, we'll move you over to the labour ward and then you'll have privacy over there and you'll have your own room and you'll have your own midwife and all that sort of thing. So I was like, yeah, sounds good. Um, so I just remember kind of moving around a bit more and going out to the toilet and just feeling a bit like, just feeling like I needed a bit more of my space. Uh, and I remember going back to the room and I called the nurse and she came down and she's like, oh yeah, there's definitely progress now. Like it looks like you're having contractions, like serious contractions. She was like, I can, she was like, I was going to hold off doing an, an examination for now until we know that you're much further on you know are you happy enough with that comfortable with that and I said yeah I agree with that that's fine so she went off again and I'd say within 20 minutes I must have belled her again and she came back I remember just being on the bed like literally lying on the bed just got that feeling again of exhaustion and just I had to lie down on my side and she came in and she was like okay right things are really you know things are really going here or whatever so she was like do you want me to do an examination so I was like yeah um and I think just as she was saying, as I started having another contraction, she was like, okay, I'm just going to wait for this contraction to pass 
and then I'll do an examination. So I was like, grand. And then she did, and she's like, okay, Gina, we just need to move you out of here. <laughs> so she basically got um she basically got must have called them to bring me in a wheelchair and stuff. Thankfully, I was in the ward, which is just beside the labour ward. So she basically got me into the wheelchair. I remember them opening the curtain and stuff like that. I remember just at the time just being like in that state of like just so exhausted and tired and stuff and just being like kind of collapsed in, in the in the wheelchair, but also being delighted because like I was like, this is it now. It's kind of happening and it's happening mm. on its own and there's no huge interventions and all the rest. Um, and they were wheeling me up to the labour ward and Pad must have been a bit behind me because he was messing the bags and they were telling, you know, he was sorting out taking my stuff out of the cubicle and all that and moving what he needed to move up to the labour ward. But there had been no mention of like figures as to what dilation I was at or anything like that. I don't think there had been a figure mentioned or anything. But, uh, you know, I just knew that I was getting moved up to the labour ward and like it was happening and this started or whatever. So I remember her wheeling me in and she, my midwife had spoken to me that day about position wise. And one of my big um, fears was about tearing again. And so mm. she was saying she'd help with the compress and stuff like that when it came to time. Um, and I had kind of raised that a few times that that was one of my huge concerns. So um she I remember just being wheeled into the labour ward and then she was like I can set up the bed for you Gina where you can just go up you know like leave it kind of um perpendicular so that you can just kneel up onto it and kind of lean over the back if that's a position that you would find favourable and I was like yeah that'd be cool so then when she just um wheeled me in she was like you can just go straight into that position there on the bed if you want or whatever so I was like grand and all I remember was basically her saying to me you know it looks like you need to bear down now like so you know, it's need to push, push. Um, so I literally pushed. Um, I think she had just set me up with the gas and air and I had like one pull of that or whatever. And then she was like, if you need to, if, if you need to bear down, bear down. And I did. And basically the baby was born there and then. And I just missed traveling in the, in the wheelchair. Because um, cool. my husband said that he must have been a couple of minutes behind me. And he said that he just remembers like um, cancelling a call on his phone. His mom was ringing him just as he was walking through the door of the labour ward and he cancelled it. Um, and then, so my son was born at 7.24. So he was saying that literally that was at 20 past when he was walking through the door and then okay. four minutes later, yeah, <laughs> he was born. Brilliant. So, yeah, yeah, it was completely a very different experience. Um, he was born, yeah, I was just on my knees, uh, just on my knees and he just came into the world and yeah, like no pain relief. But it was just, yeah, it was a really amazing experience. Um, great care from the midwives, great lead up, kind of just the experience with Pam. And she's just, if I could just tell every single pregnant lady that's going through pregnancy to get on to Pam. And just, she was just such a great resource to have through pregnancy. Um, so yeah, I'd hugely recommend her and all the links and stuff that she gave us the whole way through and stuff was really, really it really held through for the day for the big event then. So yeah, he was all and everything was fine. Thankfully, he was born happy and healthy um as well. Uh I did have a tear again. Um, but they were able to just patch or to it wasn't a surgery or anything. Um she didn't have time for the compress, obviously. <laughs> she had yeah. spoke to me about that before, <laughs> but there was no time for any of that. So um I was able to have like the repair in the ward and stuff like that and got the lovely skin to skin time and mm. um, and so yeah, you, do you lovely. get to really enjoy that oxytocin rush then and just Oh yeah. Yeah, cool. Completely completely like it was just I like I can't even explain it because mm. it just went so quick. Like I had literally you know, I say that 
the surges probably started at 20 past six and he was born at 20 past seven. So like it was just so quick and so such an amazing experience. Like it's really hard to explain because like it's pain and it's but it's just adrenaline and it's just like yeah, oxytocin and everything flowing through you. And my husband wasn't even part of it. Like I just had my headphones stuck in. And like he was afterwards going, what just happened? Like, because when he came back, I remember just being in the in the cubicle of the ward and he was trying to set up. Like he thought we'd be watching movies now for a while and just kind of bedding down as usual, uh, bedding down for a bit of a long experience. And I just remember him. I was in the middle of having surges and he was still trying to set up the double so that the laptop could take both of our headphones. I remember just sitting there with him trying to look through it and then I'm like, oh, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. having a pain, go away. <laughs> and he was interrupting me with my gentle birth app and stuff, but it was just funny, yeah. So he was basically just really involved for about the last five minutes of it and, you know, gave me that last bit of encouragement at the finish line and stuff. But yeah, it was an unreal experience. Brilliant. I'm delighted, delighted to hear that, that you got to experience that and feel that. And you felt supported by so many people. Yeah. Yeah, I really yeah, did. Cool. Like, I know, I know it's not ideal, and I know that there's a lot of um, talk, even about induction and stuff like that, and mm. you know, people like not knowing enough about it, or you know, being induced when they don't need to be induced, and all these kinds of things. And I know that I was technically induced. Yeah, I'm done now. That's it. Even though it's addictive <laughs> as I say it gets, I'm done. I know I'm done. That was gorgeous. There's there's so many parts of your each of your experience that are really important to to share. Now that was perfect. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Mignon, and thanks Cheers, for your time. Gina. No, not That's at all. Thing that you do as well. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you would like to share your story, you're more than welcome to. You can get in touch over on the website, irelandsbirthstories.ie, which I will link in the show notes. Click on the Share Your Story tab and I will get back to you as soon as possible after you fill in those few details. You can get in touch over on Instagram, but I'm just not very active there at the moment. Um, enjoy your week and I'll chat to you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.